Chapter Twenty Six of Korean Fairy Tales by William Elliot Griffiths. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Woodman and the Mountain Fairies. Over a half thousand years ago, there lived in a northern village near Pingyang a woodcutter named Kiel Wee. He owned a sturdy bull that carried on its back the fuel which he daily cut on the mountains and sold on the main streets of his village at the fair which was held every fifth day. The docile brute could carry a load of faggots and brushwood piled many feet high over his head and tie down with ropes so that at distance nothing but his legs were visible. This beast, although so huge, was the gentlest creature imaginable. The children were all very fond of the big fellow, and were accustomed to play with him as if he were one of them, or at least like a pet dog. The reason of this was that when but a week old, the bull-calf had been taken from his cow-mother and brought up in the family with the girls and boys. Only the puppy-dog, that also occupied the house with the young folks, was a great favourite. On a fine summer morning, Kiel Wee, leaving his beast behind, went up on the mountain and cut enough wood to load up and bring down on another day. His wife, as she shouted good-bye, told him to be sure and be home in time for supper, for their eldest son had gone a-fishing, and a good string of perch was expected. Shouldering his axe, he started up the mountain path. He had to go pretty far, for near towns or cities in Korea all the timber had long since been cut away. Every year the woodmen have to search farther afield to find fuel. Arriving in the woods where there was a clearing, Kiel Wee prepared to wield his trusty axe. He was about to take off his big hat and outer coat and lay about him when he spied at some distance off two fairy-like beings. They had long hair, looked very wise, and were dressed in costume of the Chow dynasty of two thousand years ago. They sat on stones and played the game of Go-Ban. Coming near, the woodman took a respectful attitude, and, looking on, soon became interested in the moves of the players. So far from being at all disconcerted at the presence of a stranger, the two fairies seemed, by eye-winks, to invite him to look on. Feeling quite proud to be thus honoured, Kiel Wee, leaning his chin upon the handle of his axe, became absorbed in the game, and by and by grew quite excited. Forgetting himself and his manners, he stretched forth his right hand to move one of the pieces. At once the fairy nearest him gave him a crack on the fingers for his impudence, and jerked Kiel Wee's arm away. Then, without saying a word, he took out from his wallet something that looked like a persimmon seed, and put it in the woodman's mouth. After this, all three were perfectly quiet. Hour after hour the game proceeded, and the players grew more intensely interested. As for Kiel Wee, 
his eyes never winked so hard did he look at the yellow board covered with the black and white pieces several times when he thought he saw how the fairy on his right could beat in the game or the one on his left make a better move he felt like telling one or the other so when however he tried to move his tongue he found he could not speak or utter a cry somehow he felt as if he were in a dream yet all the time he became more and more wrapped up in the game so that he determined to see the end of it and know which player had beaten he forgot that with mountain spirits there is no night or morning or passing of the hours nor do they care anything about clocks or bells because in fairyland there is no time all the while keel wee was leaning with his chin on the stout axe handle holding it with both hands under his neck he took no note of the sun or the stars daylight or darkness and he felt no hunger suddenly the timber of his axe seemed to turn to dust and his chin fell the next thing he knew he had lost his support down went his head and forward fell his body as he tumbled over upsetting the checkerboard breaking up the game and scattering the round pieces hither and yon over the ground awaking as out of a sleep and thoroughly ashamed of himself for his impoliteness he tried to pick himself up and humbly apologize for the accident which he had caused by his own rudeness he expected and was ready for a good scolding but when he looked up the fairies were gone nothing whatever was seen of them or of the playboard and checkers nor any sign of their having been there except that when he put his hand on the flat stones which they had used as seats he found them warm to his touch but where was his axe handle and what had happened when he had left home he had come straight from the barber shop with his face smooth and clean-shaven now he put his hand to his breast and found that he had grown a long white beard as for the iron axe head it was there but rusty and half buried in the ground he had worn one of the big farmer's hats which when turned upside down might hold a bushel or two of turnips and when fastened to his head spread over his shoulders like a roof where could it be he looked about him to find it but saw only the bits of the slats inside the frame and a few scraps of what remained for the rest had long ago rotted away meanwhile he had discovered that his joints were stiff and he felt like an old man his clothes were a mass of rags his hemp sandals were no more and on both fingers and toes had grown long nails like birds claws his hair had burst its topknot string and hung down his back like a woman's only it was greyish white wondering what it all meant kiwi hobbled down the mountain and found the road that ran into the main street of his village rocks and hills rivers and rills were there but what a change instead of the two grinning idle posts of male and female faces carved out of trunks and trees with sawed-out teeth painted white and artificial ear-flaps of wood nailed on 
such as had stood before every Korean hamlet since the days of Kija, there was a line of high thick poles with iron wire stretching from one to the other, and for miles in the distance. These, he found out afterwards, were called lightning thread trees, telegraph poles. In place of the rambling and sprawling three-sided thatched houses and yards, divided off with mats hung from sticks, there was a well-built but odd-looking office of painted wood, with openings through which he saw Korean young men sitting. They were dressed in strange clothes, and were fingering outlandish-looking clicking instruments. His curiosity prompted him to go up and look more closely, when something bumped against his nose and nearly knocked him over. When he tried again to get closer, his face was flattened, his nose nearly broken, and his lips knocked against his teeth so that they swelled. Feeling with his hands to solve the mystery, he touched something hard, which he could yet see through. Just then he heard a young man inside shout to him in Korean, Here, you mountain daddy, let that glass alone. Glass? Glass? thought Kiel, we, what is that? Yet he could not speak. He had hardly drawn a long breath, when looking down along two lines of shining iron in the street, he saw a house on wheels, coming right at him. There was no horse, no donkey, no bull, no man pulling or pushing it, but overhead was a long pole, at the end of which, where it touched a string, as he thought, though it was an iron wire, was something that looked like a squirrel. It was going round and round, as if turning somersaults, and seemed to be pushing the moving house along. Inside, near the same stuff which he had already heard was glass, sat a dozen or so Koreans. The whole thing, wheels and all, nearly ran over him as it thundered by, and his mouth opened in wonder, while a man on the end shouted rudely, Hello, old goblin, where did you get your pumpkin mouth? Look out or you'll swallow the moon. Get out of the way of the trolley. Thus did the man they called conductor, or guard, make fun of the poor old fellow, for indeed he did look like one of the mummers, who on New Year's Eve amuse or scare the children by putting on their shoulders the huge round devil heads and false faces that represent the aborigines of Korea and the goblins that once lived in the mountains. These masks are usually shaped like a melon and are cut with eyes, nose and mouth like those which American boys have fun with on All Hallow Eve. This was just the trouble. The woodman in tatters, with no top-knot, long hair down his back, and a white beard floating over his breast, leaning on a long white stick as he hobbled down the street, looked just like one of the ancient aborigines that had long ago been driven into the mountains. Nurses and old women frightened naughty children by simply mentioning their names. When one of these mountain men, odd creatures that were half savage in dress and ways, came into the town, all the children laughed, and the big dogs barked, while the little ones ran away, for the sight was so unusual. Even the bulls bellowed, the donkeys balked, and the pigs squeaked, 
as Kiel Wee came near. No wonder he was taken for a mountain granddaddy, or a bumpkin dressed up like one. For few of the city or village folk had really ever seen one of the mountain aborigines any more than they had seen tigers, that are plentiful further away, but which only the hunters ever caught sight of. More and more bewildered, Keel Wee wended his way further into the town. He saw that the men no longer wore topknots or chignons, nor did the lads have on the long braid down their backs, which showed that they were youths, but not married yet. Just then, some rough boys, supposing that maybe some rustic gawk had mistaken the time of year, jeered at him and cried, Hello, hermit, do you think it's New Year's Eve? Keel Wee thought he had better ask some questions. So catching sight of a dignified-looking gentleman, in black broad-brimmed hat and flowing white clothes, who was coming down the street and towards him, Keel Wee bowed his head low, almost to the ground. As he did so, the stone, put in his mouth by the fairies, dropped out, and his tongue was loosed. He inquired as follows. Exalted, sir, can you tell me where may be the wretched hut of my miserable wife and children? She was the daughter of G. Kim, and your contemptible slave is Keel Wee. The gentleman, whose dress showed that he was a scholar and person of rank, looked long and hard at the questioner, to satisfy himself that he was not being mocked, or imposed upon by a jester, rope-dancer, sorcerer, or some such disreputable person, and then cried, Heavens, man, are you a beggar spirit of the mountains? Your speech sounds like the dialect spoken in these parts five hundred years ago. In that time such a family lived here, but the head of it, a woodcutter and fuel-seller, is reported to have gone up into the mountains and was eaten up by a tiger. Yonder in the graveyard are buried ten or more generations of his descendants. Tell me, kind sir, what has happened here since King Wang died? It was under his reign that I was born and lived in this village still eyeing the questioner as if expecting to see him jump out of his rags and declare himself a mamma and the whole affair a joke the kindly gentleman proceeded to give in outline the history of korea during the previous five hundred years there had been many kings the tartars first and then the japanese had invaded the land a great war between the mikado's men and the chinese had taken place it was just over, and now people rode in cars, talked hundreds of miles over wires, and travelled over iron rails as fast as a dragon could fly, drawn by a steel horse that drank water and fed on wood and black stones that burned. In a word, Korea was in an era of civilization. This was too much for Kiowee he now realized that he had lived ten times longer than the average man so hobbling over to the graveyard he stumbled among the mounds until he found that one of his clan where the bones of his wife and children lay 
Next morning, all that was seen of Keelwee was a mass of dust, rags, some bones, and much long white hair. Yet when they buried him, there sprang up around and on his grave strange flowers that no one had ever seen in the city or village, but which bloomed only on the high mountains. End of the Woodman and the Mountain Fairies and End of Korean Fairy Tales by William Elliot Griffiths